Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. I'm Press. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Jules, man, what's good, man? How was the week, bro? Oh, big prayers. What's popping, baby? Uh, you know what? The week been real busy, man. Real busy. I'm just glad the inauguration's over. Uh, I, I, you can kind of just decompress a little bit, man, and just chill, man. Just, just you know, I just can't wait. My days off now. Just still, just working. That's all. Yeah, no, I hear you. The boogeyman is gone. Oh man, <laughs> the boogeyman. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he got his ass on that flight. <laughs> Early flight home, boy. Went back to Florida. Yeah, he really did, man. It's, it's funny, man. I, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, they showed pictures when they left and when they moved out. And generally, when people move out of the White House, you know, they'll take their pictures and kind of, you know, go about their business. Not only did the Trump family take the pictures, they took the frames too, bro. That's, that was crazy to me. Damn. <laughs> hey, you, hey, you know, Trump was in there. No, put this, you know, they asked him, oh, Mr. President, uh, you want us to take the picture off the frame? He said, "No, damn it! Put them, pack them frames up too. We taking everything. <laughs> all this is all this is mine." I think somebody somebody walked out there with some type of statue. I don't know who it is, but <laughs> man, them folks is crazy. And, uh, hey, he took some he took some uh, some stuff with some volume out of there, man. Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing: if the Obamas would have did that, that'd have been all over news. You could you imagine that on, on some of them on uh, Fox News and all that? They would have been like, yeah, man. the Obama stole picture frames <laughs> next at nine. Right. <laughs> right. You can be like, see, you can't give them nothing. This is what they do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn, man. I'm just sitting there like, man, it's just picture frames, but hey, my bad. All right, I'll bring exactly. it back. <laughs> yep. But dude, what, what was your thoughts on that inauguration, man? I just thought it was it was just classy. You know what I mean? It was a party. You know what? It it reminded me of now, Prez. I know you're not the biggest Star Wars fan, man. No, nah, but <laughs> damn. But uh, it reminded me of it reminded me of when on Return of the Jedi, when Luke finally beat uh, Vader and, and the Empire was was gone, and everybody started celebrating. There was fireworks and parties and festivals and stuff that's what it reminded me of it was like dude left out went to florida and everybody just had a party it was musicians actors and stuff like that and and and, and he had four more presidents and bernie and uh, man Hell yeah bernie was off the chain <laughs> big shout out to you bernie looking like <laughs> looking like <laughs> looking like grapes too sour as my mom say wow. sitting in that chair mad uh, dude <laughs> look at mad look at mad 
Bernie was like looking around like, why are everybody so happy around here? <laughs> Bernie's like, I lost. <laughs> yeah, I, should, right. I should be up there. <laughs> hey, that dude, man, he's on Don Lemon last night. He said he, he said he was just cold, man. He was trying to keep warm. Well, I'll tell hey, you I, one thing. Him being cold, that turned into one of the best memes because he was the star that one of the stars of that day. <laughs> oh, Ooh, we. But my, but no, man, that, ingra- that inauguration was off the chain. I like seeing you had the old, you know, the former presidents. You had uh, 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 Clinton and Bush. Uh, if Jimmy Carter was was okay, he probably been out there too. But uh, don't forget about my boy Barry O. Smooth self. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was out there too, man. It was, and 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 when uh, Obama came out there with Michelle, how she was walking like she was on a catwalk. With that hair being whipped and laid, man, man you can you on. can you couldn't tell her nothing in that moment. I was could, like, man, <laughs> the queen right there, right? That inauguration, hey, prayers. You know what? It was a paradigm. Uh, uh, it was a shift in the in the universe. You had people in other countries was was happy that uh, Trump was out of office and congratulating Biden and Harris on winning. Yeah, we haven't heard from Putin or or uh, Kim Jong, but you know, and you know. <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens. Well, I'm okay with them staying quiet because them two right there, them like the dudes on the block, man, like uh, they can cut up at any second now. So I'm going to leave you alone over there. You just do mm-hmm. what you do. Don't worry about what we're doing over here. So we don't keep it like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what, no, man. That, hey, what you think, Perez? With the inauguration, I thought, man, yeah. it was uh, everything that this country hasn't been for the last four years, bro. It was presidential. Everything about that, the class, the way that uh, the Kamala spoke, that poet, uh, that little girl, man, she spoke. Oh, yeah. That put yeah. me in my feels, Amanda man. Amanda Gorman. Yes. Amanda Gorman. And my God. That's the stuff right there that people need to see with our future. Because so, pe- so many people are so quick to label the kids in the future and say, oh, man, you know, th- these kids are lost. I don't know. When you see a kid like that that was up there in that moment, that's a part of history. And that was something that hit me. And speaking of history, right, yes, we, we, we had our first female black and Asian person that was sworn in as a VP. And so in that moment, I'm like, man, that is proud. You know, any little girl out there could see that one, no matter what race they are. That's something that they could be proud of. So that day, man, for me was amazing because you have to contrast that Wednesday from the Wednesday that we had a couple weeks ago when you and mm-hmm. I came yes, on the show and, and we lit into America. So I just want us to get things back in the right direction, Jules. And it, and it will, like uh, Bernie said. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Joe Biden said. President Biden said uh, it's not going. It's not going to be expedient, but it's going to take some time. But we will get things moving in the right direction. With changes coming, so so yeah. we just got to remain patient and 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 and, and work towards together. Work towards a, a better America with all of us working together. You know, yeah. that's his thing is working on uh, everybody coming together and, and for a better America. Yeah, because the thing about it is what, what I really um, came away from when he spoke was he decried racism and division. And those were some of the things under Trump that he seemed to kind of rally, you know, amongst mm-hmm. his base. And then he offered mm-hmm. prayers for the victims of COVID-19. And that hit home for me because, you know, my grandmother passed from COVID last year. And so that was something with the last president that really bothered me because I always told you, Jules, that if he would have acted on this uh, this virus when he first knew about it, 
then maybe her life could have been spared because she was in a nursing home. And a lot of those places, those people were sitting ducks because we didn't know anything about this virus until it, was, it basically hit us all. So for me, when Biden spoke those words, it really, it really hit me. So we got a lot of challenges in this country, man. And he offers hope for the future. And so I'm going to be open-minded because I know that this stuff isn't going to change overnight because a lot of the stuff right. that Trump did, I mean, bro, he tore up this country, bro. And it's going to take us a long time to heal, bro. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, it's not going to be easy, but we will get it done. All of us working together, we, we, we can. We can get it done. And well, what you talk about Trump, well, he told up, he sure did. He, my God. But you know what? We'll get it. We're going to yeah. get it. We're going to move forward. We're yeah. going to move forward and we're going to heal together and we're going to build together. So, we good. I like. I'm, I agree with you, Press. We, you know what? Are we good, man? Yeah. I and I and I, and I share in your optimism, and and I hope you're right. But the thing that I saw was Biden. He didn't waste any time, bro. Once he, you know, he had that little walk, and and I love seeing Biden run, dude. When he did, you see when they when they got out and they started walking, and then he ran over to the mayor of D.C. I was like, boy, Biden, boy, he got a little pep in his step these days. I was like, get it, sir. But he he didn't waste any time on that first day, bro. He signed the 15 executive orders. And yeah. what he was really trying to do was he was trying to overturn a lot of the damage that was done in the last four years. And so I really was encouraged because mm-hmm. he stopped the construction of the wall. Um, he rejoined the World Health Organization. And I mean, any, anybody right. knows yeah. that that was a giant mistake that we drew from that in July. Um, he banned, he reversed that ban on travel for those predominantly Muslim countries. So he, in essence, did so many things that I was really encouraged by, but also, the biggest one is in those federal buildings. He's like, look, you need to be wearing masks in here. You guys need to be social distancing. You guys need to act like there is a freaking pandemic that's going on out here. That's killing people. And right. that's a stark it, contrast yeah. to Trump who wouldn't wear masks. And they said the people in the different buildings, it was up to their uh, opinion if they wanted to wear a mask or if they want the social distance or not. Mm. Well, you know, we came out that a lot of those uh, Capitol police end up getting uh, COVID-19 during that riot. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not so, surprised. Yeah. N- yeah, not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I ain't surprised either. All that all they hooting, hollering, and yelling, yeah. and spitting. Yeah, no mask on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, he went to work. I'm surprised. Hey, hey, I'll tell you what. For a 77-year-old man, that hey, he good because he was up early. He, he attended church. He had the inauguration. The celebration afterwards, we had singing and dancing and eating, and he was he swore in his his party. He uh, what, what else he did? Yeah, he did the uh, 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 uh passing those fifteen. What you call them, Prince? Executive orders. Those orders, yeah, those executive yep. orders. He signed those executive orders. He he was moving from, whew, from sunset sunrise to sunset, boy. Yeah, yeah, so the thing about it is, I'm like, I hope I move that well at 77 because my man, they had right. him going all day long. You know, he looked Ooh, good, bro. And and shout out to Dr. Jill Biden. Dr. Jill Biden, oh, yeah. boy, I stand her. I love, I love Mr. Dr. <laughs> Jill Biden. <laughs> you can't hey, tell me hey, nothing Jill about make, her. Hey, Dr. Jill, she making sure her man is good. She man, I'm telling you. Man, is good. Well, like, she oh, be, yeah, he'll be ready. She'd be right there every step of the way. Do you see the way she'd be looking at him? I'm like, boy, he's going to be all right. He's going to have all the encouragement that he needs over these next four years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he's in good oh, yeah. hands, and so are we. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not worried. 
I'm not worried. We all good. He got a good good cast around him. And also too, he's got a really diverse staff. And the thing about it is, is that these people are really ready to put in work. His press secretary, she wasn't messing around with the media. I was like, boy, she's came here to answer questions. She ain't playing around. I was like, this is a stark contrast to what we had in the last four years. So already just in this opening couple of days of the Biden administration, I've been pleasantly surprised, but I know that this is only going to be one part of his plan to move the, uh, the country forward because be honest, Jules, the second and most important piece of this is going to have to be working with Congress. And that's where it's going to take right. for both sides to really compromise and learn how to work together better. Yeah. You know, even uh, Obama said himself when they had the, uh, when they was all talking, giving uh, by uh, Biden, some advice is saying if he ever need anything, you can always come to them. And he said, Hey, listen, we're all going to have disagreements, but we can compromise. We can work together and stuff. We, but we can respect each other, uh, 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 perspectives and, 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 and compromise and, and move forward on the agenda. So it's not all going to be, be biscuits and gravy, but you know, we can, <laughs> they can make it, they're going to make it work. Yeah. I think for me, I'm just going to just point it out. I just say for Democrats, they need to find a way to communicate so that the concerns that they raise are actually taken seriously. And mm-hmm. I think for the Republicans, they need to pay attention and not just be the loudest people in the room. Because, Jules, you know what we always say about the loudest person in the room. Oh, man. Yeah. You, we make, you know what? <laughs> we, make, we make examples out of them, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just say that moving forward, man, everybody's got to do their part to prioritize what's best for the country and mm-hmm. not a particular segment of the population. And I think that that's going to be the thing that's going to really help us move forward as a country and actually heal, you know, because we know that this stuff isn't going to change overnight. It's going to be a while, but guess what? If we could do this thing in, in strategic layers and, and steps where we're all working together and mm-hmm. all coming together, then that's how we make this a better country. Yeah. Progressive. We keep moving forward. Step here, step there. Baby steps as what people will say. And you're going you're gonna to walk miles, you know, so we, hey, hey, I just can't wait. A lot of people say, hey, get, well, give Trump a chance. Well, you know what? Let's give, hey, let's give Biden and this administration and, and, and new, new America a chance here. I think it's, I think it's going to be, well, I know it's going to be a, a better future. I do too, man. And, and speaking of that better future, man, on this show today, we want to definitely give listeners and our audience some ideas on how they can you know better their own futures so we are joined by malcolm riley uh, managing partner at isphere malcolm talk to him how you doing there, there brother malcolm. man brothers thanks so much for having me on the show i've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks uh, been, i've actually been going back into your vault the library of the show and you guys are going into some really important topics for the community so honestly man i feel it's a privilege that you all thought enough of me to bring me on here and looking forward to the conversation so we can help some people elevate and achieve their dreams and uh, create better lives. So that's going to be a lot of fun today. Man, I appreciate you. And thank you so much for going back to some of those episodes, man, because to your point, bro, uh, we definitely value ourselves on giving nuggets to the community, man, whether it's helping people mm-hmm. to learn how to have ownership, man, whether it's helping our people to understand their worth, right? Like just some of these things are just valuable things for us to, to think about as we're pulling into this 2021, because this is going to be a very important year for a lot of people. And so yeah. we wanted to have you on this show because brother, I'm so impressed by you and what you've done in your career that I was like, man, I want him to come on here and just give us some of his stories about how he got to his place. Because as I mentioned, he's a manager director at ISPEAR. That's his business that he created. But then also, 
he's a manager of strategic alliances at Lenovo. So, I mean, this guy right here, he's putting in the work on a 40 hour work hour basis. And now he's got his own personal business venture as well. So a lot of times when you see individuals like Malcolm out here and they're thriving and they're doing well, people just look at somebody like him and say, oh, well, I can't do that. But it's important for people to take a step back and actually hear from someone like him and learn how he got to this place mm-hmm. in life. And that's why, Malcolm, we wanted to have you on the show today because we wanted you to talk through your personal journey because I'm sure it wasn't easy. And I'm sure you had to do a lot to get here. Hey, man. I was about to, I was about, I was about to jump in and say, hey, if I could do it, you could definitely do it. So <laughs> <laughs> anybody could – you could, if I could do it, you could, anybody could do it. I've had, I had a lot of people to help me along the way. And for me to try to take advantage of the opportunities I was given. So absolutely. So let's, let's speak of that. So audience, Malcolm here is a, is a South Sider, proud Inglewood resident. And to his point, like you said, if he was able to do it, so can you. But Malcolm, I want to just in your own words, man, talk to us about some of your life, man, growing up. I want to hear a little bit more about your family and just how you got here, bro. Just from those early days. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I uh, grew up, grew up on the south side in Inglewood, right around 67th and Troop, born and raised, out south side raised me. My mother is a 20-year retired police officer on the Chicago police force. My father, uh, for the most part, was a security guard, and then, and then he went into some other work with Brinks, okay. um, kind of pr- providing security for transferring monies through the city. So really, for me, it was very much blue, a blue-collar upbringing but there was always just an incredible focus on education, mainly because in a lot of ways, my grandmother was a teacher and she was also an entrepreneur. My grandmother was my first preschool and kindergarten teacher. And she started a school right next door to our house in the basement that my grandfather built for her wow. uh, to run her business. And she ran that school for 20 years, uh, mainly focusing on most of the cohort was African-American kids um, and where she provided just a little bit of oasis um, in the, in that area so that you can really focus on not only knowing what you needed to learn academically, but kind of equipping you what you needed to be successful in life. So just a lot of understanding your African-American culture and history uh, and intertwining that with the academic lessons that really, for me, helped prepare us when we left that little school and went out into the world. And so, so for me, yeah. So those, so those seeds were planted early in you. Mm-hmm. Very, very much so. Very much so, man. So even though, you know, it's interesting, as, as we all know, you know, even back then in Inglewood, it, there was so much more talk about crime and poverty than there was about opportunity and successful things that were happening. Mm. But, you know, for me, when I looked around, I, had, I just I was blessed to have a support network that mm-hmm. for me, that, that's the only path that they allowed to even be possible. Um, so mm-hmm. that was always my focus is on getting in those books, getting ready to go to college one day. And, you know, and I recognized when I was growing up that that was unique because honestly, when I look at my block and I go back to this day, most of the folks that were grew up, that I grew up with, they didn't, they didn't go to school. Right. Um, for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for me, it wasn't because I was special or because I was a harder worker with them. It's just that I had that mentality that was ingrained in me earlier. And that really, that's really what pushed me. When I, when, I was, when I was growing up, and we talked about this earlier, like we all went to, um, were fortunate enough to go to Catholic high schools. Correct, yep. But that's not by accident. Why did our parents send us to Catholic high schools? Because they, were, they weren't sure what was going to happen if we went to the neighborhood public schools. Yeah. Um, for right. me, that, pub, that school would have been Robeson. 
and I'm, I'm sure there were great teachers there, mm -hmm. but it didn't have the most resources. It didn't have the best reputation. And so my mom, your parents, they all sacrificed to try to give us the opportunity. But that always stuck with me. It was always like, okay, from, the, from seven years old, I was bused across the city. Yep. Um, to, I, I went to grade school from first to eighth grade near Midway Airport, not in my neighborhood. Wow. Um, oh, okay. wow. You know, went to De La Salle on 35th, not in my neighborhood. Right. And so mm -hmm. Chicago, in many ways, it's always been this, for me, this tale of two cities where there's so much opportunity. Um, but on the other end, you can see the inequity. Um, yes, and, a lot of, and a lot of times it's because of the lack of access, because of a lack of knowledge about what's possible. The resources so, that have been stripped. You know. Absolutely. So I always took that with me, you know, because my grandmother kind of put that spirit of service in me from a young age and i just wanted my life and my work to matter and be able to give back to people the way so many people had given back to me oh that's that's really really dope one thing that you that you touched on and i wanted to just kind of get jules's thoughts because jules also grew up in inglewood and right. and that sense of community that sense of having that support system jules i mean i know for you personally those are a lot of things that you speak highly of just in your own personal uh, growth Oh, yes, because uh, as we talked on the show, uh, Prez, I was fortunate both in you know, grow up with household, broke with both my parents. And and I did, I went to a public school for a couple years, uh, Copernicus, but my parents wanted a better, better life, a better opportunity, better ed education. Mm -hmm. uh, echoing off uh, what Michael was saying, not saying it was a bad school, but they just wanted more for me. Right, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, you know what and I mean? It's, right. So I end up going to St. Benedict, the African, and then also going to bus into Rita, just like like Malcolm, just getting out of the, the neighborhoods and going and traveling so we get a better ed education and ultimately a better a better life. Yeah. So that support system, yeah, I echo with you, Malcolm, is, is paramount. It's very important. Yeah, because the thing about it is we talk about this a lot on the show in the sense of the work that we try to do here on this podcast by trying to educate and uplift. But we know that we wouldn't be at this point in life if not for the people that basically mm -hmm. sacrifice so much to put us in this position. Right. And I say, well, much is given, much is owed. And that's why I do this podcast. And I know that's why Jules does the podcast. And that's why we like to have brothers like Malcolm to come on here just to help elevate, as he mentioned earlier in the discussion. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and, you know, and for me, you know, so, so that was kind of, that was my mindset, man. When I graduated from De La Salle, I was fortunate enough to, to go to Bradley down in Peoria. Um, Shout out to you. You know, <laughs> uh, that was my, my time in the P, my time with the Braves. And I didn't know, ex I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I just knew that I wanted to do something where I was able to help people. And, and while I was there, you know, I pledged Alpha File for fraternity shout out to my brother <laughs> there. And what I learned through that experience was that I really enjoyed the challenge of, of launching new programs and initiatives. Because as you all remember in school, you know, you have all the organizations try to do things yep. for the students on campus. I really enjoyed the art of storytelling. So promoting these events, promoting these, these, uh, these opportunities, because everybody had so many different distractions and things that they can invest their time to. How can you incentivize them to wanna invest and spend time with you? and to help them get the information that you thought would really help them. 
And, you know, I, so the course of those four years, that's really where I focused a lot of my time. I went, I was a communications major, uh, focusing on speech communication, really thought I would go into maybe broadcast journalism, maybe something in business, but then something caught my attention. Okay. In my freshman class, there were 15 black men. Okay. Mm. Only three or four of us made it to graduation. Wow. Five years later. Um, for many different, and they were, and these were some brilliant brothers. They were at the top of their class in high school before mm-hmm. they went to Bradley. Um, but it, but it showed me that there was something missing. Like even with our parents who had sacrificed to get us there, once they got to school, there was like this roadmap that was missing. It was still like they, didn't, uh, they, they didn't know the rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so obviously didn't, so in terms of getting the right GPA so you can qualify for internships, mm-hmm. having the right conversations with professors and staff members so you can find out about opportunities. Right. And it dawned on me, my last year in school, I was reading this book called How to Find the Work You Love and Do Something You're Passionate About. I was like, well, what if I can play my role to help make sure that once they get here, that they can make the most out of it? And that led me, uh, I was in a career development class, you know, where they're helping me with your resumes and getting ready for the job fairs. And I happened to mention to my teacher, I said, man, I'll be really interested in in helping others with this. Two weeks later, she asked me would I be interested in doing an unpaid internship my spring semester of my senior year. And I said, sure. And she said, hey, since you have this interest in underrepresented minorities and first generation college students, maybe you can help us with that. Uh, in addition to helping students who want to do business careers. Mm-hmm. So it was like the best of both worlds. And so I was able to help do programs with inroads, which back in the day was helping with internships and jobs yep. uh, for minorities. And I had a really good time with that. And I remember as I was going through the interview process for companies, I had just mentioned to the director of the career center, I said, man, you know, I think I, I might be interested in going to grad school for nonprofit administration. Because I was thinking, I thought it would be broadcast journalism, but I said, what if I use these communication skills as part of an organization that's actually doing things in the community, whether that's Mm. an NGO, whether that's a social service agency, maybe even in education as a director of a career center. And I said, you know what, I think I might want to go to grad school here. And a few weeks later, I would say about uh, March or April, the director of the career center came back and said, hey, Malcolm, what do you think about being a graduate assistant? for us so we can help you pay for graduate school. Wow, that's a blessing. You know, and it, it really was. And, and, and honestly, it was really outcome. I was working really, re- it was unpaid, but yeah. I treated it like a full-time job, uh, you know. Wait, for wait, wait, 15, wait, hold on. Hours a week. Hold on, I want you to stop right there. What'd you say again? It was unpaid, but I treated it like a full-time job. <laughs> I, want, I, I want people to listen to that because that right there, that's a sacrifice. This man was out here working his job, wasn't getting paid a dime for it. No, you know, I was doing it. I, I got the satisfaction of working with students and seeing and helping them get internships and jobs that I thought could change their families. And I wasn't doing it because I was trying to prove myself to get a scholarship. I didn't even know that would be a part of it. Okay. And it just kind of, and it goes mm-hmm. to show you that number one, people are always watching. That's right. Right. right, right. And when you get the opportunity, you always got to find a way to over deliver. Um, mm-hmm. really doing your best. And that's something I got from preschool, kindergarten from my grandmother. Um, you know, just applying that, wow. you know, in this new environment. And, you know, she said that, uh, I said, of course, you know, I said, uh, you know, almost free school sounds good to me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, she had had the conversation with the graduate administration 
And we had, you know, I went through the, uh, the test taking process and I was enrolled in nonprofit administration at Bradley, uh, getting a significant scholarship off of unpaid internship. Off of unpaid internship. I wanted to go back to something that you said that I thought was really powerful in this discussion. You talked about the 15 brothers, man, that, that, you, that you came up mm-hmm. with through that process and only mm-hmm. was it three or four of you guys mm-hmm. that, that walked across the stage. Mm-hmm. In your mind, what do you think was the difference? What do you, did you have a plan that was significantly different than theirs? What, what did you think was that gap that maybe kept those brothers from, from making it to the same step that you made? Man, it was, it was a number of things. Uh, first is what you, number one, uh, doing well in high school is very different from doing well in college. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Joke with, I joke with my wife all the time and I say, I don't remember, I don't remember studying nearly as hard in high school as I had to do in college. <laughs> I never studied in high school. I don't remember it because yeah. I was working. I was working in high school. I was working like 20 hours a week at Foot Locker, uh, you know, trying to get my wardrobe right. Yes, you sir. Know, <laughs> college and stuff. And, um, and so when I got to college, you know, I think all of us had a, a, either a class or a semester where it was like, welcome to reality. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, that I'm not used to seeing these grades. Right. Right. And I think the mm-hmm. difference was, is that when that happened to me, I remember it happened my first or second semester sophomore year. I was like, hey, 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 <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not, C's don't work for me. Uh-uh. You, know, uh-uh. you know, number one, because the, the standard had already been set with my grandmother that, listen, even B's really aren't acceptable. No. So B, if a B isn't acceptable, we know a C isn't. No. And I think okay. intuitively, I just sent, I just knew that if I don't get, if I don't have a certain grade point average, I'm going to miss out on things. Well, I think what happened to some of those brothers was, is that some of them maybe were in the wrong majors. Mm-hmm. Some of them were in the right majors, but didn't seek enough mentorship. Okay. Um, yep. Some of them were in the right majors, saw mentorship, but they didn't make the adjustments to their work ethic and their approach. Yes. Because okay. sometimes, for instance, I, you know, I started off, I, at one point I thought I was going to be in business computer systems. Okay. As a major. And if you ever done programming, you rec- it's literally like learning a new language. It is. Yep. Right. And it takes full immersive commitment. Otherwise you're going to fall behind. And then once you fall behind, everything gets advanced and it's going to be harder and harder. Yep. You know, and then you look up six weeks later, you're like, Oh my God, I don't know what they're talking about. Right. So apply that to biology. You know, mm-hmm. if you're trying to be a doctor or pre-med, yep. you know, apply mm-hmm. that to business. If you're trying to do finance, it's not that you can't do it. Is that you didn't commit to that full engagement, that full immersion that was necessary. And that's honestly what I found. They, they were plenty smart enough. Um, and it wasn't that they were even lazy. They just didn't fully understand, oh, wait, this is a, there's levels to this. Yep. Okay. And when you hit that stomach, you can't continue to do, you can't, you cannot party all day Saturday and no. Sunday morning and then put about four or five hours in on Sunday and think it's going to be okay. Right. That's not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think it took some people too long right. to make that adjustment. Mm. I, learned, um, I learned that the first semester at Bradley. And I'll tell you one <laughs> thing, that was my breakthrough, Malcolm, just to be honest with you, because when those grades came back, I had never gotten those kind of grades in my life. And mm-hmm. I was ashamed to look at my grandmother, mm-hmm. my mother. Like, I'm being honest with you. I'm showing them this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm first generation over here. And this is what I'm doing, right? Mm. And that's when I said, you know what, uh-uh, I'm going back determined to your point that you brought up. I got mentors. I got more involved on campus outside of going to the Garrett Center and kicking it on the weekends. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I had to look within and I had to say, you know what, 
I got to put a lot more commitment in this than I did in high school. Because as I mentioned, I didn't study in high school. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to go into college with that same mentality. And Dr. Schweitzer in that communications department, <laughs> they told me another story. <laughs> you know, and, and you probably thought, hey, communications, how hard could it be? Well, they, <laughs> apparently they take their curriculum very seriously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I felt that point that you were making about those individuals, because I wanted our audience to listen to that, because I thought the same thing when I was at school, man, it was a lot of guys that were around freshman year. I was like, man, what happened to such and such? What happened to this such and such? Sophomore year, you start seeing people not come back. Did junior year, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, there was so much more of us in the beginning. Mm-hmm. What happened? Mm-hmm. And for one you know. way or one reason or another, they just kind of fell off. So it was interesting that you mm-hmm. had that same experience with your class. Absolutely. Because you know what? You know, the funny, one of the funny stories, I remember I was in a relationship at the time in my sophomore year. Yeah. And I remember I got the I got that C average, but my girlfriend got straight A's. And I was Oof. like, okay, wait, weren't we spending the same time? What was you? <laughs> when did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me Not know something. Hey, you like to... <laughs> You say, tell, hey, let me know something. What you got going on? What you, what you, and, she, and she was a math major. So I said, okay, wait. Okay. Oh, wow. So you doing wow. it. You're doing this as a math. Okay. I need, to, I need to change some things. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Malcolm, you already know how the ladies are on, on college. They'll kick it. They do all they got to, but they handle that business, bro. They handle that business. That would even surprise me. <laughs> so they got me together because like you, like you got my pride. Right? Yep. It got my pride. It got my comp- – now, I wasn't competing with my girlfriend. I was competing with myself. With yourself you know, about what I wanted to be. And so that, that's kind of, that kind of led me to that, that led me to graduate school. Yep. I finished that, that process. And as I went through it, you know, I was, as I came towards graduation, I had three different ideas that I was pursuing. Okay. Am I going to try to go this executive director of a, of a social service agency route or an NGO? Um, I had also fallen in love with this, this idea of helping people with their careers because there were some people that were first generation students that they didn't know that they can get $70,000, $80,000 jobs out of school right. as, at 22. They just didn't know. They didn't know what it would take to get there. You know, or was I going to go corporate? Um, and so I was interviewing for all those jobs, guys. And then you know, I had one opportunity to do a final round interview at a company that was called National City Bank. I think it's since been acquired by Chase. It's going to invite me to Cleveland you know, for being one of the last three participants. And you know, when you get that final right invite, you know, it's showtime. So it's like, yes, let's right. go. That's right. And, um, and I said, well, let me just think about it. Because, you know, that entire semester, I've been telling students to follow their passions and follow their dreams and that things will work out. And, you know, if I was being honest with myself at that time, my dream was really to, to try to be this person that can help others reach theirs. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do corporate at that time. Um, and so when I slept on it and I meditated on it, I decided, you know what? I'm only 23 years old. Let me do what I, let me be true to my word and be what I'm passionate about. And I decided to withdraw my application from all of those companies that I was interviewing with, the bank, Caterpillar, and some others. I withdrew my, and I even withdrew my applications from some of the, uh, the social service things. I decided to focus on working in higher ed um, in career services. And, um, and, and luckily my first position that I secured after that was at Duke University. Uh, Cause I knew at that time, you know, I had been in Chicago, Illinois, my life, all my life. Right. And I wanted to kind of get away and experience something different. So I was, you know, I was looking at universities throughout the, the country and fortunately a great opportunity opened up where I could actually be their career advisor for students interested in business. And they also wanted someone 
to focus on underrepresented minorities uh, and first wow. generation students. So, so, it, it, so it aligned. It aligned. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was kind of it was an insurance plan because I was like, okay, I'm still going to be building relationships with these companies. Um, so even if I decide I want to go in a different direction, the pivot should be a little bit easier mm-hmm. um, because I'll because I'll have mm-hmm. those embedded. And so I went to Duke. I think it was about 2006 and had two amazing years. And uh, not only did I do the advising for students interested in business, but I, I also got myself involved in fundraising for the office. So we would try to do sponsorship packages where companies would uh, give us money in exchange for exposure and programs. Uh, I also worked with our executive director to help think about, hey, how do we change our structures so that we can serve more students and so that we can get more resources? So mm-hmm. kind of using my degree, but also I was always thinking about, okay, what are the skill sets that I'm going to need for my next move, you know, whether that's in higher ed or something else. So I'm thinking about what are these transferable skills? And, you know, at the end of those two years, I had a phenomenal, what Duke, what Duke also did was it, it helped me to see kind of another way of approaching things because Bradley was a phenomenal school. Duke was interesting because the focus is always, how are you going to make a difference in the entire world? So how are you going to make a difference in your community? Yes. How are you going to make a difference in your region? Yes. But how are you going to be a player on the global stage? Right. And, and in supporting that, it was a very international, very diverse student body, faculty. And that mentality, you know, was, I think, really empowering. And it, it got my attention. And as I was helping working with students, I realized, man, I, I enjoy education, but I want to work on some of these big problems that are mm-hmm. making a big difference in communities, uh, not only in the U.S., but around the world. Um, and I, and I want to maybe use business for good right. uh, to do that. So I was talking with my mentor and he said, hey, have you thought about getting your MBA? Hmm. I said, yeah, actually, yeah. He said, well, have you thought about getting it from Duke? And I said, well, actually, no. And he said, well, why not? It's, you're literally right there. Um, and I said, okay. But at the time, remember, I'd already gone through grad school once. So I didn't want to take on additional student loans. Um, but an opportunity came up. At the business school, they were looking for someone to not only help with career advising, but they really wanted someone to focus on corporate partnerships and to focus on marketing. So once again, transferable skills that I could use for anything. Um, And they were sponsoring one person every one or two employees every year to go through their MBA program. So I was like, why not me? You know, why can't I be that one person? Derek Rose you know, moment. Why not? Why not? <laughs> like, why not me? Why can't yeah, I be the MVP? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and guys, you know, three years later, I was fortunate enough to be selected to to go through our MBA program um, at the business school wow. with, a, with a with a fantastic scholarship. You know, as one of those two employees three years later, and um, and the the program I went through was called the Cross Continent MBA program. Okay. Uh, which okay. which over the course of 18 months, it allowed us to travel to New Delhi in India, uh, Shanghai, Dubai, wow. uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, and London. And really the thought was really trying to get a up-close, impersonal look at how business is done in different regions around the world and how does culture contribute to that? How does history and, and politics contribute to that? How is it all interconnected mm-hmm. as, you're try- as you're thinking about making these deals as a business leader? And it was it was life changing because not my classmates were from all over the world. You know, about right. half are from the U.S., about half are from other countries around the world, and we came together for these amazing two week experiences on the ground. And it was in India that really the light flashed in terms of what I wanted to do. 
for the rest of my mm -hmm. career because we were on a corporate tour uh, with a company called Operation Asha that still exists to this day. And their mission was to fight tuberculosis in India. Okay. Because for those that don't know, that was a huge problem in India that was just decimating families. Mm. And, not, okay. and, and a big issue was people weren't getting tested, particularly in rural areas. Okay. And so what they did was they created a business model that wasn't full nonprofit. It was kind of a hybrid model where there was, there was paid for services, but they used, they created employees, oftentimes that were in urban areas, but had family in rural areas, sometimes based in rural. They created, they used technology with tablets so they could actually do testing uh, on the fly. And they would go to these areas, make sure people get tested. And then when they find out, make sure they get treatment. Because you know how this goes, like if, if you are, if someone gets, if the head of your household gets tuberculosis and you get sick and you pass away, what happens to the children? Well, right. now they have to work. Right. Now they have to leave school. Yep. And now their entire futures are changed forever. Mm -hmm. That's not so different from what happens here in the U.S. sometimes. That's depending right. Depending on mm. family situations. And I called my attention. I said, wow, okay. They've created this really interesting business model. They're using technology they're using it to really to significantly change lives. That's, that's the type of work that I would like to do with the rest of my life. Um, and so that was 2012. Okay. You know, I, you know, I graduated in 2013 uh, and I owed Duke some time because of the scholarship. So I said, okay, but I still need to get experience because I know I want to work with technology. I've never done that before. You know, I built partnerships, you know, I've done marketing collateral, but I don't know about, technology products or technology customers or technology business models. How can I convince someone to give me an opportunity if I haven't done that? Right. Um, and I haven't really done work outside the U.S. So that's when I created Iosphere as a way to get that, ex that okay. type of experience through doing consulting. Okay. And, and really, I just started being really strategic about seeking out essentially internships. Um, that, that could help me get that experience. And really similar to what happened at Bradley. So check this out. There was a <laughs> big international development firm called RTI here. And international development, all that means is you, you, you apply for like 50, 60, 70, $80 million bids to try to change global education in Ghana or mm. tackle some type of global health program uh, or issue in Zambia. And they, they, in the government, in the form of the U.S. Agency for International Development, they will give you the funding and you lead the program over okay. a course of a three to five year period. Okay. Okay. That's what RTI, they're one of the largest in the world. They had an internship program. So, so I, you know, set up a lunch with the internship coordinator and said, hey, how can I be an intern? Uh, and at the remember at the time I was working full time. Right. Um, so I knew I couldn't be on site for like 24 hours a week, but that internship, they only needed you to be on site for like four to eight hours a week. Oh, wow. Okay. So I talked to her and said, how can I be an intern? She said, well, what are you thinking about? I said, well, I've done corporate partnerships. Does anyone need that? It turns out that the organization was trying to become less dependent on government funding. Okay. Um, and they wanted to get more corporate partnerships with companies like Google to provide tablets for education mm -hmm. programs with GlaxoSmithKline mm -hmm. to provide, you know, like uh, mosquito nets in areas where, you know, uh, malaria is an issue. So they needed that type of expertise and they wanted training. And uh, she put me in touch with the, the group that was hiring for that internship. And, uh, and I'll never forget when I talked to her, she looked at my resume, the hire man, she said, you know, your resume is really not that impressive because you look like you're kind of a career advisor and you're trying to do international development work. I don't really get it, but 
<laughs> I really, but I think there's something to this corporate partnership story, and I and I and I like the way that you seem to really understand what we're trying to do and how it connects to what you've done before. Mm. You know, so she says I was gonna say no, but I, I see I see an opportunity. <laughs> so come on in. Cause you know, okay. oh. cause you, cause you know how it works in business, man. In those interviews, they are looking. They have a million and one reasons why they want to tell you no. And I think in that situation, Malcolm took his resume in there and basically said, "You know what? It doesn't matter about a job description because I'm rewriting this job description because I'm letting you know what I am going to bring to the table with this opportunity." And I think mm -hmm. that that's really valuable for people to listen to. Uh, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And she tried to tell me no, but I, but I, and it wasn't that I tried to convince her that you know, I was telling, I was talking with Ron about this. You know, a lot of times we, we, we lean on, Hey, I'm a really quick learner. <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> Being a quick learner is important. It is. But I need, I need you to know some things mm -hmm. <laughs> when you come to the okay. table. When you come in. Okay. Because, because why? Because if you guys haven't noticed, like a lot of those training development programs are going away. They are. And the reason is, is because even when they were in existence, those managers don't have a lot of time to develop people. No, no. you got to be ready to go. They, they have a lot of demands on them. They That's got right. targets that they have to hit. It's not even personal. It's not no. that they don't want to. They literally don't have the right. time to. So they're like, I need you to kind of come in and hit the ground running right. and tell me what you're going to do. Exactly. Uh, and, then do, and then do it. <laughs> and then do it. And then tell me, and to tell mm -hmm. me it's done and tell me you exceed expectations. Well, so that, that, her name was Nicole and she gave me the opportunity. And remember, guys, they only, they only brought me in to do a training. Mm -hmm. uh, they wanted me to do a training for like uh, people that were on the on the ground in places like Indonesia and Kenya about how to do corporate partnerships better. Um, I did my training in April, but along the way, when I was doing interviews, I saw opportunity because they were they were actually in the midst of having conversations with companies. They were in the midst of doing research on what companies to connect with certain of these project teams who are in countries. And I said, hey, can I help with that? I know I'm only doing training, uh, this training program in, um, in April, but hey, I don't mind doing extra work. Don't even worry about giving me extra hours. Just let me help with you. Let me help with that. Sure. Right? So I started doing, I, so I got like three extra collateral assignments, you know, helping these project teams with their work. And then, I, and then when I, my internship was supposed to be over in May, I, I, I pitched my boss and said, hey, listen, I know we're done, but I think I, think I can do more for you don't you guys just need a comprehensive strategy for the organization? Mm. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't that be worth investing a couple more months for an intern? And, uh, and she agreed. So but internship that was supposed to be two months ended up being six months from January to August. Okay. Wow. Okay. And wow. then, and then fast forward to a year later, right? So I leave that internship. I'm still working at Duke a year later. I get a call from one of the project teams that I helped on a project that was based in Ghana. They say, Hey, Malcolm, the bid, that, that, um, that are the request for a proposal that's went live. What do you think about going to Ghana on the ground to actually help build some of these partnerships that you recommended to us uh, for wow. our proposal to help us win? And I was like, oh, so you want, you want to send me back to the motherland to, <laughs> to help do some work to improve education for my brothers and sisters? Um, and it's all, everything, everything is paid for, flight hotel. I said, oh, yes. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. So a right. year later, think about that, right? I just, all I did was volunteer. And she, and, she, and I did good work. Yep. And she liked my mm -hmm. work. And this, this wasn't my boss, guy. This was the, just another project team lead, right? right? So it wasn't my supervisor. Um, she's the one that recommended me. And that got me to Ghana to work on that project where I'm talking to people from Google and 
and telecommunications companies to help sell them on our organization and why this project can do so much good in the community. And that's how I started to build my resume in international development. And then mm -hmm. in parallel, I started doing other internships with technology companies. Wow. Uh, one was a software company uh, that was like a password manager called Dashlane. You guys you may have heard of that. It would yep. have a Super Bowl commercial. Yep. At that time, they weren't yep. in America yet, though. They were in Europe. And uh, I reached out to an alum. He said he was looking for an internship. Guys, it was paying like, man, $10, $12 an hour. I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it because I because I knew I knew the pieces of the puzzle that I needed to be competitive mm -hmm. and so listen I, I got on that project assignment with that uh to help them launch in North America think about their marketing did that for about two months guess what they hired me for another contract mm. and all of a sudden it doubled wow. it like ten dollars an hour to forty dollars an hour right it, because he he saw my work I proved myself and he gave me an opportunity right um and so that I was managing that business for a couple of years that doing international development, doing technology. In addition to Ghana, I had a chance to go to Zambia uh, to in the capital city of Lusaka to do some more work uh, in education on the ground, which was life changing. Um, and so did that for a few years. And in 2017, I finished off my term for Duke. I went to an NGO called Innovations in Healthcare, uh, where that focus for them was how do we empower entrepreneurs around the world who are trying to make healthcare more affordable? Remember my first story about Operation Asha yep. in India? Uh -huh. Okay, Operation Asha was actually an entrepreneurial organization that was part of innovations in healthcare. Wow. Was, right? Um, and they hired wow. me to, to run strategic partnerships for them for a couple of years. So now I'm helping entrepreneurs with their business models that are based in Latin America, that are based in Africa, uh, based in India, working with investment firms that might be interested in investing, um, but I'm learning. But I'm learning a lot about technology business models yep. and foreign business models, um, and I did that work for two years, and I ultimately helped pave the way to my current role at Lenovo, uh, where in strategic alliances. Where what do I do? Well, you know, I, I partner with companies like uh, where Amazon and Facebook and Google uh, to to pair their technologies with our devices, our PCs, our laptops, mm -hmm. uh, and our tablets to create new innovations. And, I'm, and I help to manage and lead those deals. But think about where I started. You know, I started as a career advisor. Exactly. You know, back in 2008, mm. who didn't have any technology experience and really have direct business experience. And over time, just by being strategic and taking advantage of opportunities, you know, it helped to open up some pathways that led to some really interesting experiences. Wow. So Malcolm, I mean, brother, that was, that was amazing. Just listening to that journey and I kind of got lost in it. And I was sitting over here just amazed at all the different steps that you took <laughs> proactively, Me <too>. right? <laughs> Me too. What, one thing that I wanted that just popped up in my head though, was all of those things that you did, how, what challenges did you encounter along the way? Because I'm sure mm -hmm. there were some things in those, in those times, it was just like, oh man, I don't know if I can keep doing this. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, mm -hmm. so remember, I, I, was, I was doing all these quote unquote internships and consulting experiences while I had a full-time job. Right. I got married in 2009. Okay. So I had a wife, uh, didn't have a daughter yet. She got, she was born in uh, uh, 2016. So, you know, it was, uh, so I was managing a marriage, but think about this. I'm working mm -hmm. 40 hours a week full time, but then I'm putting 15 to 20 on top of that. So that's 60 hours a week. Yep. So how do you communicate that the vision to your mm -hmm. partner mm -hmm. about, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And then how do you communicate 
you know, hey, I just grad I'm graduated from business school, but I'm taking these jobs that aren't necessarily paying what you would expect, you know, <laughs> right. at least immediately. Uh, but, you know, trust me, I'm going to get there. Well, that's e it's easy if you had a vision because you understand it. Right. But one of the lessons I had to learn was I had to I had to pause and explain to my wife, you know, what the vision was, because she was with she was with me. And she was she was uh, she was contributing to it and being directly impacted by it. Right. And so I had to I had to make it uh, feel like more of a partnership, more inclusive, mm -hmm. so that she can truly be with me along that right. journey. And and honestly, you no, know, your partner always always wants to support you, but they can't support you if you don't share it. So if, mm -hmm. if you don't so, if you don't yeah. if you don't share it, but also if you don't get that buy-in from that yeah. partner. Right. That's right. So that's that was a that was a struggle. That was a challenge. Also, you know, I talked about all the 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 people that said yes and gave me an opportunity, but I didn't talk about all the people that said no. There we right. go. Okay. Right. You know, all the people that when I reached out, they were like, hey, I don't really, I don't get it. You know, I don't, I don't understand how you can help me. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things that I had to learn was not to take it personal. Yeah. It's not right. It's not a. It's not an attack on your ability. Mm -mm. It's just, it's recognizing that, hey, listen, everybody's incredibly busy. Everybody's incredibly challenged. And if you're not able, so it's two things you got to do. You, you need to know what they need in advance. Right. The things that I, we talked earlier about, and it's got to be more about, I'm a quick learner. You know, you have to, when you don't have the experience, when you don't check all the boxes, you still need to come in there with the command of their business, yep. almost mm -hmm. on par with them. Yeah. So they like, or if, or if not better, or better, so that so that really the conversation is like, okay, I didn't <laughs> expect you to know all this. Uh, you got my attention. Yep. 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 <laughs> I still, I still, I still really want to pick the other candidate that has done this more, but I really like you yep. as a person. Um, so mm. tell me more. Convince me more. That get that leads to conversation number two, and the next one after that. Yep. So I I became a better student of people's business. Because think about the transitions I made. I didn't know anything much about healthcare. Right. So I had to learn yep. about primary healthcare and secondary healthcare and healthcare technologies. You know, I didn't, what do I know about PCs and laptops? I had never done that before. Right. Right. So I had to, in parallel, learn about that business, but then also help them, I had to make the connection for them. So that was the challenge was how do you at least get the opportunity through a conversation? But once you get it, Mm-hmm. Once you get that 30 minutes, once you get that hour, how do you make the most of it? Exactly. You know, that's what I had to become much, much better over time at doing. Also, oh, too, wow. one of the things that I took from this was, Malcolm, you pivoted within a pivot. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that a lot of people, especially right now, we, we see the situation in 2020 with the pandemic. A lot of people were forced out of their jobs. I talked yeah. about on this podcast at my company, we laid off about 3,000 people a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago. So there's a lot of people right now that, hey, they may not have an opportunity within the industry that they're in now. And I thought that this would be a great episode to give people ideas on maybe pivoting within maybe a different industry, right? Mm -hmm. Or giving mm -hmm. people some food, food, some food to how they can basically go out there and bet on themselves, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think Jules was about to jump in. No, I, you know what, Mark? I was about to say, I appreciate what you said about you had some doors closed. Mm -hmm. But that didn't stop you. Mm -mm. You just you just walked you walked down the hall and opened up another door. <laughs> and I want people I want people to understand that not all opportunities is gonna be is gonna be uh, given to you. No. Not a lot of people is gonna say yes and, and agree with what you 
what you coming with. It's no, going, right? You going to hear some no's. And, you and here's the thing. You can't let hey, that stop that. And think about this. And, uh, and Brian, I think you've done some sales in, in your career. No oh, today yeah. doesn't mean no forever. I was just going right. to say exactly. that when you, when you exactly. said that, I, I treat no because I've been in sales since 2007. No is just an opportunity for me <laughs> to, to show you later why you need me. And that could be applied in life too, man. So. <laughs> check, check this out. You remember, you remember the job that I got at Innovations in Healthcare, leading partnerships? Um, I interviewed for that same, that same job two years before. <laughs> oh wow did you yeah i interviewed for that same job two years before <laughs> mm. wow. and uh and they ended up hiring someone else because they didn't think i had enough direct experience um but what did i do but i took that feedback and over the next two years i just continued the grind and the hustle i said okay mm -hmm. you said, she said i was missing that said i was missing that so i just got stronger i got mm -hmm. the experiences i made it happen and that's the thing you know when you you know because what you realize is all it takes is one person to That's give right. you an opportunity, mm -hmm. just yep. exactly. Yep. So I don't, it don't, I don't care if you call thirty. Yeah. Nobody, nobody asks you how many doors you had to open on to get in. They right. just ask, "What right. did you do? What did you do once you got in the house?" I kicked mm -hmm. the door. I kicked the door down. That's what I did. You know, and that's, <laughs> and, and, that, and that's kind of what it, that's kind of what it's what it's been about. And so you learn to bet on yourself. Yep. Uh, but you, but what what you learn to do is you just learn to do it much more strategic. Because here's the thing. I, when I'm working with my executive coaching clients, so you mentioned Iosphere earlier. Yep. So Iosphere, what do we do? We do executive coaching and we do corporate training. So, so on one hand, we help people make transitions mm -hmm. and, uh, and pursue their aspirations in, a, in many different industries. And then we do corporate training to help them retain and develop their talent. Mm. Well, you know, what I always talk to my clients about is you really should know every reason that the person is going to say no to you when you walk through the door. That's like right. there should be, there shouldn't be any surprises, no. right? Like if I was trying to go into law enforcement, like they're going to be, if I was trying to work for the FBI, Malcolm, you have no law enforcement experience, <laughs> you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. What, what investigative experience do you have? These right. are not surprises, no. right? Like, right. <laughs> so I, I know off top, I have to do two things. Think about, okay, how can I creatively get that experience? And two, what's the story that I'm going to tell that helps them to, to become more of a believer when we finished than when we first started? That's absolutely right. One thing that I wanted to, to piggyback on for the audience, because you've dropped like gem after gem in this conversation. Malcolm, one of the things that I wanted to really make sure that people listen to, you talked about the story of you being at Bradley and how you got to Duke. Now, I mm -hmm. want people to realize that Bradley is located in Peoria, Illinois. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of big business yeah. down there. You have State Farm and you have Caterpillar. <laughs> and, and no disrespect. But the thing about it is, though, when I say that, is the fact that he took that opportunity. He leveraged it to get down to Duke University, which now that gave him access to global organizations. So you have to think about how he took an opportunity that was probably very minute mm -hmm. and he 10 x it. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I want people to take away from this discussion, because in our culture, we struggle as people with networking and mm -hmm. creating opportunity for ourselves. And one of the things that I took away from your story was what set you apart from those 14 other people or the 12 other people, whatever that number was, was is the fact that you had your breakthrough moment and your breakthrough moment led you to where you are today. Yeah. And I think that that's very important. You, you know, and let me offer you a, a couple of things. So I want to, I want to, it's a story. Uh -huh. but I'm going to offer you something for the listeners to think about. Sure. Right? It's a, it's a, 
let's call it, it's a framework that might help him think it through, right? Okay. In every stage I had to do, the first thing was, was, was to clarify. Clarify, number one, I mean, clarify what do you want? You know, what are the career paths you're interested in? What's the income levels that you're trying to be at? Like really, like Stephen Covey said in the seven habits of highly, highly effective people, you know, thinking with the end in mind, okay? Mm -hmm. But the second thing I always tell my clients is, is to get what you want, you must give what they need. It's wow. not about, to get what you want, mm -hmm. it's not about you. It's not about being smart. It's not about being a hard worker. It's actually quite simple. Do you understand what that person at the other side of the desk needs? for their organization, for their business. Once you had that information, it's powerful. But what if you don't have it? Well, we gotta go get it, right? Before, because a lot of people are good at, net, they are good at, let me separate good networking from talking to people, okay. right? Because a lot of people are, just, are good at talking to people. Right. And remember when we were doing our pre-show, we were saying, hey, it's the difference between people liking you mm -hmm. And wanted mm -hmm. to, to hire support you, you or hire do you. business right. with you, right. Okay, because that's, right. yep. that's when it gets real. Yes. Like, okay, I can go out and we can, you know, we can have fun and we can go out together. But when we're talking about something real, it's got to be substantive. Yeah. So that means that to know what they need, you don't always have to get it directly from the hiring manager. That's no. where you can look within your network and your circle, where you can call friends and family and associates and say, "Hey, can you just tell me more yep. about what you do? What makes it difficult?" Hey, be honest with me. As you look at my resume, tell me all the reasons that you would be concerned. Right. Okay. And then work with me to help me think, to develop a plan for how I can address that. So that's what I mean by clarify. Clarify what you want, then clarify what they need. And then the second thing is, I call it cultivate. Okay. They've told you what, the, what your gaps are. How are you going to cultivate these skills and these experiences? Right. And I know and we are in different situations. Some of us have children. That's, you know, some of us have family, some of us are single, but, the, but to be honest, you guys know this, nobody cares, no. right? Mm -hmm. All they mm -hmm. really care about is, do you have what they need? Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you have kids, how are you going to find a way, even with having kids and having less discretionary time, how are you going to make the most of your eight hours this week? Mm. You know, and for me, it was, you know, I had, I did have to watch a, little, a lot less TV, had to spend a lot less time on social media. But I was so focused on my vision of where I wanted to be, I, that, that was energizing. I said, okay, I'm giving up, you know, a few of my Netflix shows that I'm able to binge watch, <laughs> you know, but I know where I'm going. And I feel like if I do this, because, and here's the thing, a lot of times people like, and it just gets into education and certifications. So a lot of people say, okay, let me get this degree. Let me get the certification. The first thing I always say is, hey, have you talked to the people hiring to make sure that's what they want? You know, not to say that investment isn't important, but make sure, make sure like that. Or is there another way? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. some, because five times out of 10, there might be another way mm -hmm. that actually yeah. might be a little bit less expensive that actually lets you get there faster. And so there's a back door. Yeah. There's, there's another way, right? Cultivate. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the last thing is communicate. That's the storytelling. Okay. You got the skills, you know, you've invested in this where I think a lot of people get frustrated. They've got these, they got the degrees and they're like, why is no one giving me the opportunity? <laughs> because there's still a gap. That's right. You may not have the skills and the experience. Okay. But that's not their job to give you an opportunity. No. Right. Mm. You, you have to convince them that you are the one. That's right. You know, cause you're not, cause really it's a partnership. I'm mm -hmm. not giving you an opportunity. I need you to help me get right. my work done. Right. You know, to read my, and I think it's, that's the mindset 
that people have to think about. And so the, so I, that's my framework. And then let me give you the story. So my okay. favorite client that I work with, she started off at a housekeeper, as a housekeeper at one of the hotels downtown Chicago. Okay. She was elevated to manager of the housekeeping team, you know, after a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Managing like a 15, 20 person staff. There was, but she wanted, but she didn't want to do housekeeping for the rest of her career. Um, there was an opportunity on the sales team uh, for that same hotel. She told me about it. She said, Hey, Malcolm, can we talk about how to get ready for this? And so after we adjusted her resume to focus on leadership and mm -hmm. persuasion, because that's connected to sales, I now said, okay, what do you know about who they're selling to? Do you know their customers? Right. Okay. Do you know about how they make deals? Do you know about how does that reflect the space in the rooms that you're leasing out? So we really need to sit down here and study this website from front to back to understand like that events uh, and conference center uh, webpage. We need to get some inside intelligence to understand what that looks like. And guys, you know, a couple weeks, a few weeks later, she was able to get the job. So from housekeeper wow. to being on a sales team. My God. I would say that's pretty improbable, don't oh. you think? Yeah, it, it definitely is. But the thing about it is in that situation, she had a resource in you that coached her. And mm -hmm. and the thing about it is, I don't think a lot of people, whether it's a, a someone that, that has a business like you have, or just someone in your inner circle, that if they're not imparting those type of uh, knowledge and, jug and nuggets on you, then you're not going to be able to position yourself for a move mm -hmm. like that. So for me, when I listen to that story, I say two things. I say props to her for looking around and looking at her situation and knowing, hey, you know what? This housekeeping manager position is cool, but it probably has a shelf life, right? Mm -hmm. There's only so far mm -hmm. I can go with this thing. Now, when she mm -hmm. pivots to the sales opportunity, and I can tell you this personally, sales has taken me all over this country. Mm -hmm. I've seen places that I never would have thought I would have seen as a kid growing up on the south side of Chicago. Same thing with you, Malcolm. You know, you're just a kid from Inglewood. And I listen to your story, yeah. you over here in Ghana changing the world. Right. And so when right. I hear when I hear this story about career transitions for this individual, I'm sure you have so many more stories that you can share with us about what you've been able to do to help people kind of change gears. Yeah, man. And that's the thing. The thing what I always tell them, they always say thank they thank me, but I say, listen, it was already in you. Yes, right. You know, and remember we talked earlier, you asked me like why what happened? with those how did we go from 15 to 4 yes at Bradley right. with those African American men and I think you know I think a Bible verse says that you know my people perish for lack of knowledge right mm -hmm. it wasn't that they couldn't have the work ethic it wasn't that they didn't have the intelligence it wasn't that they didn't have the drive you know there there's just there's information and rules of engagement that you have to have right and you have to be humble enough to admit what you don't know mm. Right. You know, I remember, Brian, we were talking before about your experience, I think, at the Chicago Board of Trade. Right. Yeah. You know, that'll be I think that'd be really cool to share. Like, you got to admit things you don't know. Right. So that people because people don't know what you don't know. They don't mm -hmm. know what you want. That they don't know true. what you've done mm -hmm. until you open your mouth and you explain, hey, I want more. Here's what I'm thinking. I want. Can you help me? And what I found nine times out of ten, most people do want to help. you. Right. Mm -hmm. And if and you're willing to put in the work. If you're willing to put in the work. Yeah, because that's an artist. I'll just kind of go into it real quick. I was sharing with Malcolm, basically, when I graduated from college, I had a job at the Chicago Board of Trade as like a floor runner, price reporter. It's not a glamorous job at all. I was making $9 an hour. And honestly, 
I, my mind and focus at that time in life wasn't where it is now. So I didn't even really see the opportunity until I started listening to the traders around me talking about their homes, talking about vacations that they were going on with their families. And that perked something in me. I started looking around. I was like, wait, where's Buffalo Grove? <laughs> I ain't never heard of that. Mm-hmm. And then they start showing me these homes. I'm like, this is where you live? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about where I live. And I'm like, wait, and I sit next to somebody like this? And this is the type of like lifestyle that they have. So when I listened to Malcolm talk about his breakthrough, that was when I had my breakthrough. And that was after I had already graduated from college. And I still had a gap. And my gap was basically not knowing what the other side was doing and how to get to where they already were. And so I humbled myself and I started to ask questions and I started to pay attention to what was going on around me. So now I'm seeing all these machines that are lighting up and I have no idea what any of this stuff means. I didn't know anything about stocks and bonds and and options. Bro, all I was was like, this is a job that's paying me $9 an hour and I could buy me some Jordans. That was where my mentality was, right? But however, one year later, as I shared with Malcolm, I got a job with the exchange where I was in a program to teach me how to trade options. Now, the year before that, I'm goofing off, not doing anything. A year later, I'm in this program where now I'm that guy that has these stories. Now, I'm basically telling people, this is how this works. This is what this option is. This is why you want to do this strategy, right? But to get to that point, I had to humble myself. I had to ask questions. I had to know how to communicate with people and let them know where I was trying to get to in life. Because up to that point, I had no idea. I was kind of going through the motions, right? So having that breakthrough led me to the next opportunity, which after I was in that trading program, then I got a job as a trader. Now I'm trading two years later, right? Now, that changed the trajectory of my whole entire life because now it put me in a position for home ownership, right? I was one of the youngest people in my family to buy property, right? At the age of 25 that I talk about on the show all the time, but I never told the story about how I got there. And it was really just taking those steps personally to put myself in positions and put myself in rooms with people that probably before that I would have never been in a room with those type of individuals, right? Last point I want to make on this just real quick is the second transition I made in my career was when the economy and when the market tanked in 2007, I realized, hey, you know what? I'm looking around and I see people around me that are losing their homes because all of their positions that they have in these stocks and stuff are just plummeting. Enron situation happened, right? And I said, you know what? I know enough about my Southside hustle to know when to fold them. And I started mm-hmm. to network. And then someone that I met in a networking event basically told me about a company called Career Builder. Now, trust me, Malcolm, I, I was feeling you 100% when you talked about the sense of not knowing about a lot of things, but figuring it out as you go along. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about sales except for the fact that I never thought that I would want to sell anything to anybody in my life. <laughs> and it took a couple of conversations with this individual and they said, no, this is something that's in you. You could do this. Right. And I'm still sitting over here just like, well, I got to figure something out because what I'm doing right now has got a shelf life. And that's why I made that analogy with the lady that was managing the housekeeper, because in life, sometimes you got to have your own clock that goes off in your head about what you're doing and what's the pivot. And that was my moment where I said, you know what? I'm a bet on myself. I went from making over six figures trading options to taking an inside sales position at career builder where I was making a base salary of $30,000 a year. Mm. Now I want our audience to listen to that. Mm. That's humbling. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sitting around looking around, and there's kids that are basically just coming out of college. I'm like almost 30. But you know what? Wow. If you want to make a place in this world, sometimes you have to humble yourself enough to say, you know what? I have to start here because what I was looking at was not that position that I was in now. It's in comparison to what Malcolm said earlier about where you want to get, what's your future state. Mm-hmm. And all I did is when I looked at that job every day, all I saw was myself being a director there. And I said, it's only a matter of time because I've done this before and I know what I can do. Right. So fast forward a year later from that pivot, I was managing that team that I got hired on as an inside sales rep. I replaced my manager that interviewed me because, Mm. and this manager basically told me, and I'll tell you one thing, and this is something you'll learn about me, Malcolm. I'm a very, driven, also kind of petty individual. <laughs> <laughs> this manager told me they, they had this program at, at Career Builder where if you hit like 120% of your number, you go on the President's Club and it's like a trip, all expensive. Oh yeah, you got to get that President's Club. Oh yeah. yeah. So I got hired in April of that year. It's April of 2017. And I asked my manager, I said, man, so during the interview process, what's this uh, President's Club? This man told me, Oh, don't worry about that. You're starting too late in the year. It doesn't even apply for you, but it's for the 120% this and that. And so I sat mm. here and I said, oh, here. well, trust me, Jules. Not only did I make it on President's <laughs> Club, but he was not there. <laughs> Y'all don't worry about it. <laughs> he told that to the wrong somebody. But, right. the, but the point of that story, though, is I want people to realize that these stories are in all of us. And the thing about it is, is that sometimes we just have to look within and know who we are. As Malcolm mentioned, his grandmother and that example that she gave to him at a young age, that was instilled in him. And he executed on that later in life, right? For me, that was my mother and my grandmother, seeing how they were busting their tails, going to work, working these jobs that they really didn't want to work just to make sure that me and my brother did have access to these top-notch schools, right? So that's in mm-hmm. me. Because that's a struggle that I saw for them. And remember how I said how I felt shame coming and showing them grades that were beneath what I know I can do. Mm. And, and it's a disrespect and a slap in their faces of the sacrifice that they made for me to even be a Peoria, right? And we all have to have personal pride in who we are and what we are. Because when you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, what I'm doing I feel like I'm in the right step, but good is not good enough. Because sometimes to be great, you still got to humble yourself and realize that there's still gaps that you have and you have to correct those gaps. So that's my little tale on on career transitions, but I just (laughs) wanted to throw that out there. No, I appreciate that too, man. I I mean, that's for me, honestly, the the, what I love most about the work that I have the the privilege to do is, is being, is hearing people's stories and being a part of it. Uh, because I feel like that greatness mm-hmm. really is inside everyone. And it's not as complicated as we make it sometimes. One thing that you said that stood out to me, Brian, was um, uh, when you humbled yourself at the Chicago board and, and had the conversations, you, ch- you started to change the people who you spent your time around. I did, yep. Right, and, and I think that always, it's always a, sometimes a conflict for some people. It doesn't mean that you're leaving friends behind it means that you're trying, that you have to enhance the people that Mm -hmm. you're around. I think someone said, if you show me the five closest friends to you, then I'll show you where you are. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, I think I heard that in the Les Brown speech, right? 
and it's it just mm-hmm. and and what is really and it's not it's not a knock on those people. It's just that you have to constantly look at your circle of people, compare that to what you've decided that you want, and ask yourself the question: Okay, do these people have the knowledge or the experiences or the relationships that are that can help me? And it doesn't mean I'm going to leave them behind. It just means I need to add right. to it mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. Brian couldn't have become a great trader unless he was saying, okay, what, what y'all trading? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah. Why are you trading yeah. that? Okay. Okay. If, you, if you, there's certain, you can't have that conversation with everybody. So that means that you have to continue to add to that mix of people mm-hmm. in your community uh, that you surround yourself with. Yep. And that's just part no, of the, just the evolution big. we all go through. Yep. Right. No, that's big. That's big what you said right there because you, you find some of your friends are complacent where they at. Mm-hmm. And you can't give further if they're complacent. If they're good, then they don't have any aspirations to go any further. Then here you are, you're stagnant. So mm-hmm. you have to surround yourself with people who wants better for themselves. So you can see that, and also wants you drive you to get better too. And they can help you along the way, help each other and stuff. So you need the that's, person that's saying, "Jules, they need to be right. like, hey man, okay, where you at? Hey man, you really, you know, your salary really should be five times that." Mm-hmm. And that's right. gonna spark the conversation. Like, oh really? Okay. So how 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 are we gonna do that? <laughs> yep. Right, yep. right, exactly. You know, so, you right. Want, if, you you want to add those that type of energy. That's that's that energy mm-hmm. that makes you sit forward in your seat when somebody says that to you. You like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 right. <laughs> no. hey, 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 first you was leaning back. Now you sitting forward, like, man, I'm interested, man. I'm ready to go, man. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey when can we start? Yeah. <laughs> you like, pray tell. What did you What do you see in me? <laughs> but you know what? I'm right there. What'd you say, Jules? Hey, you know what? I want to ask you guys, both you guys, that can answer this actually. Uh, how was it? Was it a culture shock coming going to uh, college in Peoria from living in Chicago? Oh, I'm gonna let Malcolm hit this one first. Going to Peoria, <laughs> man. You know what's interesting? Uh-huh. Um, yes and no, because oh, okay. it, in many ways, I don't. Okay, Peoria is not a miniature Chicago. So let me throw that example. <laughs> let me throw that out. That's not true. Yes and no, because it, like like almost every city, it's a smaller city, mm-hmm. but then you still but. Caterpillar World Headquarters, Peoria, yep. right? So there's still, you see wealth and you see success, but then you also see the parts of the town that still need a lot of help and lead a lot of development and still have some challenges, mm. right? Yeah. Okay. So in many ways, that's why I say it was similar. You know, we called it, do you remember, Brian, it's like you go, you go down the hill? Yep. That's why I went to go get my hair cut down the hill. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, we probably went to the same shop. <laughs> my shop was called Flavor in Your Hair back that's, in the day. That's the one, yep. yep. <laughs> Shout out to Q. I'm not sure if you're still there, man. But, um, um, you know, you go down the hill, and that reminded me of being in Inglewood, to be honest. But here's, mm. here's the thing. Um, so, it, so for me, it wasn't as much of a culture shock. To me, it was how, okay, listen, I'm at one of the best schools in the midwest mm-hmm. how am i really going to take full advantage of this yeah because there's so many ways that i can use my time um so how, how do i start to shift my mindset to make sure i'm really doing that because everything i need literally is here yep you know if if i tap into it if i ask the right question you know if i'm around peers who are saying hey man are you, are you going you trying to do peace corps what's peace corps mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh mm. you know and that's kind of that's what it was for me is that going through that process you know to shift and away from yeah we can go hang out at, at, at the party and stuff and that's fun and those, <laughs> those are still some of my best friends to this day but we're here for more too yep. so that was that was my experience brian what was it for you 
I would say mine was is it was it was different, but it was the same. So when I went to Bradley's campus for the first time, I'm one of the people I like to venture out, right? So mm-hmm. I remember when they had us down there for the little campus experience for the <laughs> orientation, right? And so I like met up with a couple people. We like, you know, you know how it is, Malcolm. When when well, you they, see another actually, person, actually, that they put you around all the African American students. You like, oh man, it's like an HBCU. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they put us around. They put us around all of each other. So now I'm looking around. I'm like the Spider Man meme. I'm like, oh, you 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 from Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> so what we did is we was like let's explore peoria so we like bet let's walk to downtown that walk <laughs> took all of three minutes right <laughs> so that was my first moment of realizing where exactly i was but then also to malcolm's point when you went to that hill area you saw the disparities between the areas that were like directly touching bradley's campus the people that had money the professors and so, and so forth and then you saw the people that actually lived there in Peoria, the ones that are the have-nots. And so in my mind, it made me realize that, damn, this feels like Chicago, but it's not at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that kind of hit me. But the thing about it was, when my grade situation wasn't what it was, anytime I went to go to that barbershop, and no disrespect to anybody, because everybody has to make money whatever way that they want to, but being exposed to some of the people that will come in there, it made me realize that I want a little bit more out of life and I need mm-hmm. to start applying myself and taking things a little bit more seriously. Cause at the shop, you go, you see oh, everybody wow. at the shop. You see everybody, everybody okay. from every walk of life at the shop. Everybody. <laughs> I mean, I remember when the Jerry curl kids would come up in there and I'm like, bro, man, they still rocking Jerry curls. This is 1997. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> like it was a bunch of pinkies running around out there. I was like, wow, this is different, but no. So Jules, to answer your question, it wasn't as much as a culture shock. I actually felt very comfortable in Peoria. And yeah. I think a lot of it, but we also have to say this too, it's because we, because you guys went to say Rita and I went to De La Salle. So that was, I think that was a big part of it too, is yeah. that we, we had went to these mixed diverse high schools yep. uh, right. that in many ways were super, were really similar exactly. to the student body at Bradley. Yep. And the thing about okay. it was we, we didn't feel like, cause I felt there were some kids that, that I knew Malcolm that, had only went to schools where it was just people that looked like them. Mm-hmm. And so they felt the kind of way about having a roommate that was of another race or living on the floor with another race. Cause when I, when I was at Bradley, I lived in Williams hall and mm-hmm. I was the only person of color on both sides of the, of the floor, the girl's side really? and the guy's side. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yep. wow. Yep. So yeah. So really that it was like, you had to build relationships. Yes. It, and I remember my, um, both of my, my, my roommate, my freshman year, was actually was actually a classmate of mine from De La Salle, and so he was Caucasian. I had another Caucasian roommate my sophomore year, and it's like, funny thing is, man, like to, during my sophomore year, it was it was everything they talk about in college about why you should roommate with someone you're, that's different from you. Uh huh. Because you know he would play his music. You know that that, that <laughs> at that time Napster was big. Yeah. And he's got all this alternative and rock and roll music. I'm like, man, what's that? <laughs> like, what what artist is that? Like, I'm kind of vibing. Like, okay, yeah, this, this not this not so bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and to mm-hmm. this day, to this day, it really it 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 changed it expanded. Yeah, but yeah, I listened to it musically. Brought it, it brought in your yes. horizons in all yeah, kinds of ways. It broadened. <laughs> you know, my music, my movies, everything, sense of humor, everything. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's up, man. We, yeah, man. So in many ways, that's kind of you see that you see a lot of that when we're engaging on Twitter. Uh, yes, Brian, yes. is that 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 a lot of that stems from those experiences at uh, high school and Bradley? Yep. Is that I can you get you can appreciate you know right. so many more uh, perspectives where people are coming from. 
Exactly, and not taking it personal. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Jules and I talk about this all the time on this show that, listen, man, this country is wide and it's vast and it's diverse. We all see the oh, yeah. world in so many different ways. And I think that when we'll get to the point as a human race is listening to Malcolm, listening to Jules, and while I may not agree all the time with what Jules says, that's still my guy, but we can still have a mm-hmm. conversation to try to learn uh-huh. why he feels a certain kind of way and then he can take that time and, and vice versa. Because we do that a lot, Malcolm. There's sometimes, like, especially over the summer, we and him <laughs> have some four or five hour conversations. You know what Ooh, I'm that's good, man. <laughs> hey, I, honestly, man, I remember having those with, with my brothers in school, man. So I, I, I appreciate that. And it's so funny during the summer, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my white friends called. They, cause they were, they were trying to process the George Floyd thing. Right. And it was, mm-hmm. it was, and it was, it was really hard for a lot of them. But I appreciate. They, so they were doing two things. They were calling to check on me. And they were just calling to just say, hey, you know, is, is this, you know, what's, what are the depths of this systemic racism thing? Right. You know, and, and, mm-hmm. that, and that could open the door to share some stories with them that I had never shared before. Um, and that, then convert- that created some, di- that created dialogue that's necessary. Yeah, that it did, yeah. dialogue, and we, and it, it deepened our relationship because now, you know, we were able to go to a more, even more personal level. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, and to me, that's been, that's been just one of the most, uh, beautiful blessings I've had from this experience is that, I mean, I can count, I can literally say I have, you know, Asian friends and Indian friends and uh, African-American friends and white friends now over these years of experience, some of, some of which are here in the States, some of which are abroad. Uh, but the love is that we have for each other is so similar because you just recognize that we're all just, we're all walking in humanity That's and it's right. really not so, too much separating us. No. And we, you know, when, when our parents are sick, we call and check on each other. You know, when things happen in our countries, we check on each other. Yep. I think that's really powerful. That is really powerful. Oh, wow. wow. And I'm going a, I'm to a tell you one thing, Malcolm, before we get out of here, man, I want yep. you to give a quick, uh, you know, plug of ISPEAR. I want our audience mm-hmm. to learn a little bit more about how they connect with you on there, because mm-hmm. I think that this episode has been amazing. I thank you so much for coming on here. But I also think that some people are going to find value in being able to connect with you and for you to kind of help them with their individual journeys of where they're trying to get to in life. So if you wouldn't mind, I would definitely love if you could share a little bit of that before you get out of here. Hey, Prince, hey, Prince, yeah. hey, can I say, can I ask something right quick? When you get into your, uh, uh, everything what you need, what people want to know about Icebear and what, you, what you're into and stuff, can you please tell a story where, where the name come from? Cause I'm, yes. I'm interested. I'm, I'm interested, yes, man. And man. then, and then go ahead and, and then go ahead and cook, man. Let's, I'm sorry, Perez. I just want to ask let's, that. Right let's now. start. Let's start with the name first. Um, so we talked earlier about my first trip to Ghana, which was a life changing experience for me. Uh, cause I got, I not only was able to do work on the ground, but I, I had an opportunity to go visit the slave castles in Elmina, which was about uh, six hours outside the capital city of Accra. And, uh, it, it just made me feel, I felt more connected to the continent, just to just our pan-African community through those. And that's honestly why I kept going back. Cause like, and I, that's why if there was one gift that I can give, you know, our communities, I wish, I wish I could personally send everyone to a country in Africa for that experience. Cause it, it was that, it was that life changing for me. And Iosphere. So it's actually inspired by, uh, what they call the Adinkra symbols in Ghana. Ghana mm-hmm. has many languages, but the Adinkra symbols represent one of the foundational language. And the Aya is a fern. And oh, okay. in Ghana, the fern represents 
perseverance because the fern is a plant that is able to maintain life despite torrential downpours in monsoons and rain, but also is able to maintain life uh, despite long droughts. And the fern continues to persevere and to grow kind of as a beacon uh, of life in life and opportunity. And sphere represents the sphere of knowledge. And put together, it means that by working with Iosphere, we equip you with the resilience that you need to navigate the challenges of today and tomorrow uh, to ultimately reach the dreams that you're trying to pursue. And that was, that was the inspiration behind the name. Oh, wow. it, was, it was really important to me to have a connection uh, to the continent. In fact, my, one of my daughter's middle names, it, my daughter's middle name, she has two, is Ayele, which is also from Ghana, uh, which means uh, firstborn daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also means uh, powerful in Ethiopia, in Ethiopian languages. Oh, wow. So it really, it really transformed me and, uh, and, and really further reaffirmed just how important it is for me. It's not only about me trying to be successful, but it's about me continually reaching back Mm-hmm. And, you know, as it relates to Iosphere, you all, the listeners can learn more about it at www.iosphere.com, A-Y-A-Sphere.com. And, you know, the work that we do on the executive coaching side is really to, to help people think about not only what you want to do from a career perspective, but how does that really fit in within your entire life plan? How does it fit in financially? How does that fit in within the way you want your life to lead? Because we, we believe that career is in a job is ultimately a conduit to the life that you want to live. You know, the, 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 the better career, the, 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 the higher the financial return that you're able to get, that's the more you're able to invest in your family. That's more you're able to invest in your community and, and live in the life that you've always wanted to lead. So for me, I, we think about it as a way to help you really focus on creating that desired life that you have for yourself with career being a really important part of that because we spend so much time. Uh, email, you can reach me at mriley, M-R-I-L-E-Y at iosphere.com. And yeah, feel free to reach out to me, whether, like I always say, l- listen, whether it's as a client for our company or whether you see me as a resource that can just help you talk through some things and bounce ideas off, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to make the time. So, you know, so thank you so much for bringing me on the show to be able to share just a few things that I've learned. And uh, I look forward to staying connected because you all are doing some re- incredibly important work and I, and I want to help continue to be a resource for you too as well. Man, I appreciate that, bro. Oh, thank you that. so much. And, and listeners, he's also on LinkedIn as well. So you can definitely find him there as well if you wanted to connect with him that way as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, take me out. Take me out. Listen, I had a lot of people that said yes to me. So I try to say yes as much. I try to say yes as much as I can to conversations. If you want to talk about business, well, you you if you listen to this episode, you already know how I think. So that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you got to come with something now. You got to come with something. <laughs> but we can always have a conversation. That's there, right. there you go. But hey, but you know what? It starts with a conversation too. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, hey, well, well, Malcolm, I appreciate you so much, Jules. You already know what it appreciate is, brother. You. Great episode again. Definitely appreciate both your brothers, man. And we are out. Jules, going to hit him with that curtain call, bruh.
This current call goes out to Alva DuVernay, who went from public relations to film directing, producing, and writing. Today, the name Alva DuVernay is synonymous with projects such as the movie Selma, the documentary 13th, A Rick One Time, and Where They See Us. DuVernay started her career in journalism and then pursued a career in public relations before turning to film. She has encouraged others not to limit themselves to the first field they choose. Whatever path you're on right now is not necessarily the path you have to stay on. If you're on the path that the one that you want to be on, you can also pivot, you can also move, and age doesn't make a difference, race or gender. It's about putting one step in front of another and forward movement to where you want to be. President I in the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast family would like to thank you for being that inspiration and blueprint for people to not stay on one career they don't want to be on, but to go forward. So thank you. Hey, appreciate that curtain call. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Deezer. We appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace. Hey.